I want to welcome you again to Door Creek. Maybe you're here in this place. Uh, maybe you're up north or in one of our venues. Good to be together. My name's Mark, if you're a guest here. And we're so glad and happy to have you here. So welcome. So Wednesday night, I got to hang out with The Rock. The Rock is our middle school ministry. And last week's message on why does God allow suffering was the topic. And what a joy to hang out with middle school kids and remember how God grabbed my life at that same period and used a bunch of wonderful people like I saw serving our students. And so just it's just exciting, exciting to see what God's doing in the lives of our students, exciting to get down in that refuge room. So it's like right below the chapel. It may be, I think it is, my favorite room in this new building, a great space for student ministries, just like the rest of this new facility reminds us of great spaces to do ministry to see the power of gospel transforming lives. And so as we're coming to the end of All In this next month, the month of February, it's good to reflect back and see all that God has done. It's good to maybe even just think about how has God used this place to bring good into my life or maybe in somebody else's life that's really important to me and to share those stories and to give huge praise to God. We're gonna celebrate all in March 7th and 8th, but we got a little work to do to finish it. So a lot of money is coming. We still have a goal of $400,000 to catch up and finish strong. So here's what I'm gonna encourage you to do. If you have never made a plan on giving, make a plan. Make a plan. And if you don't know what kind of a plan, I'm going to give you an idea. And for a lot of us, it's going to be like, whoa, way too big of a plan. Thanks anyway. So here's my plan. If we all gave 10% of our earnings this month, we will meet that goal and more. You're going, I can't do that. Well, figure out what you can do. We're going to have a big give at the end of All In, just like we had a big give at the beginning, the end of February. So thanks for being part of a church that's committed to growing in generosity. And thanks for how your generosity is making a huge difference in places like the forest, in places like Madison, in places like Monrovia, Liberia, and right here on the east side of Madison. So you ready for a biggie? Heaven and hell. Speaking of hell, Peter Kreeft, the philosopher from Boston College, he says this, hell is probably the most difficult Christian doctrine to defend, the most burdensome to believe, and the first to be abandoned. So when's the last time you thought about hell? When's the last time you had a conversation about heaven? This year? Last year, what are the kinds of things that happened to you where you actually think about heaven and hell, or don't you think they exist? Surveys say about 75, 67 to 75% of Americans are all in on the concept of heaven. We go down, though, on that hell teaching. Not so sure about hell. That's down around the 60s. I'm going to suggest to us that we actually think about heaven and hell a lot more than we realize. I actually think there are experiences we have that we haven't connected to heaven. They're the the little shafts of light. When, When you sit around a really great meal with good friends, 
And you just loiter around the table and you go, that was so good. When you go to that wedding and you enter into all that joy, you go, man, that was an awesome wedding. When you hold your own flesh and blood in your hands, you go, wow. Little shafts of heaven. I think there are experiences that we have where we see the dark shadows of hell. And we go, I hate that about this world. It repulses us. Sometimes we get so close to stuff that is so wrong, it makes us sick. I think we think about heaven and hell more than we imagine. I think there's longings that we have that are all pointing and connecting to what the Bible says about heaven and hell. I think there are longings that we have for justice. Man, I felt those well up on Monday when Lori and I went and saw Selma. If you haven't seen the movie, you ought to. And and there's this sheriff. Man, what a creep. This guy, Jim Clark, who gathers up this posse. So there's, this, this is 1965. Black people have the right to vote, but they can't actually get registered to vote because of all this craziness. And so there's these protests and there's this movement going to register blacks and there's this sheriff named Jim Clark who wants nothing of it. He's against it. He wore a, a button that said never. And there's this march that's going to happen on what would later be called Bloody Sunday, March 7th, 1965. And he gets his deputies together and he mounts up a posse made up of all these clansmen that have their clubs wrapped in barbed wire. And he just bludgeons this crowd of 600, the women and the men. And as you see that, you just... Uh, You want him to get what he deserves. You know what I'm talking about? You've been there, right? At the end of the movie, they start rolling the credits. Talk about Martin Luther King, Dr. King dying three years later. Andrew Young becoming ambassador of the UN. Then it talks about the Jim Clark. Because President Johnson passed the Civil Rights Acts, they were able to vote the blacks, and they voted in league, and they voted him out. And I'm going, yes! You have those longings? For justice, they're not always healthy, are they? Like someone wrongs you and you go, I can't wait. Those, those longings, as twisted and broken as they sometimes are, I believe are directly connected to the Bible's teaching about hell. Maybe you haven't thought about that. Then we have longings for the better place, right? For more in life. Sometimes those longings happen in the midst of good. Like it's good, but I I was hoping for more. We have longings for a better place, for a better day. Those longings, I believe, are connected in every way to what the Bible teaches about heaven. And yet you and I, when it comes to the future, 
have a very limited view to the future. So if eternity is a line that continues, no beginning, no end, and our lives is a dot on that line, it is amazing how everything we think about relative to the future is contained within the dot. You know what I'm saying? So we're thinking about future relationships. Maybe I'm hoping to get married one day or we're hoping to have a family someday. We're thinking about our future financial situation. We're thinking about our future career. We're thinking about our future health. But it's all in the dot. And the dot is but a dot on a line that never stops. And that's just kind of, we get it, right? Because like this, we live here. We live in the dot. And yet it's just like God in his grace to say, but I just want to let you know, it's just a dot. There's a line that goes forever after the dot. Maybe you should think about that. So that's what today's message is about, to think about it, to think about it. Grab your Bible. Let's catch up with Jesus as he teaches about it to help us think about it. All right. Luke chapter 16, a great story. It's not his theology in the kinds of way you'd read theology in a systematic theology book, but it is teaching us great important truths about heaven and hell. And it's really important to understand that the context of this teaching is to his disciples, chapter 16, verse 1, and the Pharisees, verse 14. To religious people, Jesus is always talking to religious people about hell. And he's always talking to people who know they deserve hell about heaven and about grace. So it's probably fitting as we're here in church to hear about hell. Probably didn't think about that that way, but that's how Jesus worked it out. It's the people like you and me who might get very comfortable in our religious pursuit of God and miss the whole warning that God brings us through the teaching of hell. So there's this rich man, right? Who is dressed in purple, very expensive and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus. Lazarus literally means the one whom God helps. And notice that he's laid there. He can't walk there. He doesn't camp out there. He's just deposited there to beg. And he was covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. He has no job. He has no means to buy food. He's just looking for a few scraps. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. And send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides, 
All this between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abram replied, they have Moses and the prophets. These are the writers of the Old Testament, their Bible. You've got the Bible. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. The story of the rich man and Lazarus from Jesus himself. Letting us know, first and foremost, that hell is all about separation. So one of the things we note from the very beginning, when sin enters in, sin cuts us off from God, the source of life. It separates us in a unique way, relationally. So there's something different about Adam and Eve's relationship. It changed their relationship with all of creation. And it changed even the molecular structure of creation. Things change. Sin separates and sin leads to death. And death is spiritual, not just physical. And at the heart of hell, I want us to think about separation. Separation from God. That's what hell's about. There's this chasm, right? There's no moving back and forth. It's separation. It's a real place that Jesus talks about. The Bible talks about it, not figuratively. It may use figurative language, but only to describe a real place. Now, this whole idea of separation makes sense if you think about it this way. If hell isn't just a place where we think of, well, that's where God sends bad people to, but actually a place where we consciously decide, like Adam and Eve did, to just continue to do life without God on our own, we'd prefer to be God. Then what we're doing is we are willfully over time just saying, God, I want to separate from you because I don't want to live under your rule. I want to live under my rule. And when we do that, it's no different than what happened if you cut down the live Christmas tree. Now, how many good folk are here tonight that cut down their Christmas trees? Anybody do that still? All right. How many of you still have that in your house? We do. We cut it down at the cabin like the day after Thanksgiving, we brought it. It was the downstairs tree where it's always cool. There's still like a lot of needles. I think it's like petrifying before us. But why do they only last a little bit? Because what happens when you cut off a tree from its roots? It what? It dies. We lose a finger. I mean, really lose it like it's cut off and we don't know where it is. So it can't be reattached. What happens to the finger? Why does it die? It's what? Well, it's cut off from the source of blood can't live. And so that, that concept of separation is something that, that we chose. It's something that we choose. 
that cuts us off from God, the creator of all things, the giver of life, the sustainer of life. And we say, God, we don't need you to help us do life. We're going to do it our own way. He says, well, just so you know, the minute you do that, you're going to die. You're going to die because you're cutting yourself off from me, the one who gives life. So the rich man is separated from God. Why is he separated from God? We could say, well, he cut himself off from God, right? Another way to say that is he wasn't in relationship with God. He didn't know God. How do we know he didn't know God? Because the way he was treating this man that was right there at his gate who was in great need. And see, we, 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 we slice it up in ways that aren't helpful, and this really brings really an important cohesiveness to the teaching of scripture throughout that the two great commandments, loving God with all of our heart and loving our neighbors, ourself cannot be separated. It's like saying, Hey man, we're going to fly this plane, but we only need one wing. No, you don't ask any of your pilot friends. You need both. And it's a fallacy to say, well, I love God, but we turn a blind eye to people right in front of us that are in great need. We know that he doesn't know God because of how he doesn't care for this poor beggar who every day lay at his gate. He forgot that God is close to the brokenhearted. He forgot Proverbs 19, 17, that when we're kind to the poor, we actually lend to the Lord. We forget Jesus' teaching in Matthew 25. Lord, 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 when, when did we see you in need? When did we see you thirsty? When did we see you naked? When did we see you in prison? When, when did we do all these things? Ah, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. What does he say to Saul on the way to Damascus? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What do you mean, you, what do you mean I'm persecuting you? I'm not persecuting you. Yeah, you are. Because I'm radically connected with the people I've created and loved. So he's separated. He doesn't have a relationship with God and it shows up in his failure to extend mercy. He didn't know God. The Bible will talk about eternity in in language of relationship. Our eternal destination is wrapped up not in performance, not in action. In Matthew 25, when Jesus is telling the story of the virgins who aren't ready and they're lazy and the bridegroom comes, he says, depart from me. I don't know you. He's not saying, well, you you didn't do that. You weren't in a relationship with me. I didn't know you. You didn't know me. Jesus says eternal life is all about knowing God and knowing me. He doesn't have a relationship. Second Thessalonians, listen to this. He will punish those who do not know God. And do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction, everlasting destruction, and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. So, see this on the slide. Hell is the destiny of those who daily choose to do life without God. Remember what we said last week? God Create us for a relationship, a loving relationship that is not like a robot. It's not programmed. So on Wednesday night, I pulled out my phone and I had fun with the middle school kids. And I said, I got Siri on the phone. I said, Siri, do you love me? 
Siri, do you love me more than Darren, our junior high pastor? Siri, prove it. Well, Siri had an answer for all my questions. Why? Because Siri's been programmed. It's not a relationship. It's cute. It's funny. But it isn't the stuff of relationship. And God shows us with the capacity to have a loving relationship with him, which meant we had the freedom to choose. And if we had the freedom to choose to love him and serve him and do life with him, we had the freedom to reject him. And if we choose to reject God here on this earth, he says, I'm going to let you do that forever. I'm going to let you do that forever. Conscious, eternal punishment. So the path to hell is paved by daily choices. It's actually something we freely choose. We don't get there screaming and kicking and begging for mercy. There is no no hint of people in hell begging God for mercy. I mean, just look at the story. He's not looking for relocation. He is looking for relief. He's not looking for repentance. He's looking for just a a little bit of help a little fingertip on the tongue. Lewis puts it this way in his book, The Great Divorce. Better to reign in hell than serve in heaven is the attitude echoing down hell's path. Keller says, hell is the trajectory of a soul living a self-absorbed, self-centered life going on and on forever. No remorse, no repentance, Just a little bit of relief. And we know from what we just read in 2 Thessalonians, it's an eternal state. This is such a hard doctrine that people are going today, well, well, we're just throwing it out. Actually, we're universalists. Everybody's in. Everybody's in. The implications of everybody's in are huge for this whole matter of justice. And by the way, How old were you when you uttered these classic words that are well-worn in the hearts of every little kid? That's not fair. Who taught you that? How did we learn that? Huge implications. Huge implications. One of the graces of the teaching of hell is that it positions us to forgive people. I don't know if you ever thought about that. The fact that Christ came to suffer hell, that his death on the cross is sufficient to forgive anyone for whatever they've done, and the fact that he says, I'm coming back as a judge to make all things right, frees us from having to hang on to this whole thing called justice and the pursuit of justice, that when we do it, not all loving, not all wise, not all good, we twist it up and further cruelty keeps going on. And do we see that everywhere in this world as people are pursuing Universalism is not the answer. And there's a whole bunch of other people say, well, could, could God just kind of do it quickly? Because this idea of eternal conscious punishment is too much to bear. So let's just say God annihilates people. Matthew 25, Jesus says, it's eternal. They will go away to eternal punishment and the righteous to eternal life. In Mark 8, 
the gospel tells us that the fire of hell will never go out. Jesus believed in hell. He believed in hell. So why is it important for us to believe in hell? Well, I just mentioned this whole matter of forgiveness. It actually positions you and I to not choose the path of revenge, to not choose bitterness, to not allow that hatred and hurt to be a corrosive agent in our lives, to be this little seed of bitterness that grows into the sequoia that we can't ever get over it, can't believe what we've suffered unjustly at the hands of someone close to us or whatever. It allows us to send it away, which is what the word means. The dominant word for forgiveness in in the New Testament is to send it away. How in the world could we send it away unless Christ had suffered for it and is going to come back to deal with it? God's character is at stake. What did Jesus say to Adam and Eve? The day you eat the fruit, you're going to die. So die is spiritual and physical separation from God. So his word's at stake. It's, it's not true if there is no hell. His character's at stake. He says in the Psalms that his throne is established on justice and righteousness. Psalm 89. And if no hell, God isn't holy and powerful and God isn't God. And evil ultimately trumps God. Too big for God. Without the doctrine of hell, we just remain like most of this world and we get so sucked into it like this. It's not a big deal. Sin is not a big deal. Come on. Everybody does this. And there's a lot of people that do a lot worse. The doctrine of hell gets our eyes wide open to this stuff kills. I'm telling you, if you and I were walking around Monrovia this last year, when Ebola was breaking out, and we're going, it's just a little saliva. It's not a big deal. So I touched them. We know anything about Ebola. We're not thinking that. We're not thinking that because we understand what it does. We don't get that about sin because we live in a world who's ruled by an enemy that is always downplaying it, downplaying it. Hell reminds me, Mark, your sin's a big deal. And not just that there's a place called hell for sinners, but that Jesus came to suffer hell for sinners. So it reminds me that sin is a big deal, but it also reminds me that God's love is even greater. And it motivates me. It motivates me to live a godly life. There's one last thing that it does. If hell is real and heaven is real, oh man, if I, if I truly love people, I want to help people get to the right place. I mean, it's really funny. In real estate, what are the three most important words? Well, let's say it together, class. Location, location, location. It's really interesting. We are so tuned into that truth when it comes to real estate in the dot. We don't even think about real estate on the line. You know what I'm talking about? So, it ought to do something. 
And I confess, man, I must not believe it as much as I think I do. I just must not. And, and by the way, believing it doesn't just mean we warn people about hell. One of the most helpful things in the preparation of this message is Jesus didn't talk to sinners about hell. So, like, don't go out of here and go, I need to talk to my friends about hell. Talk to them about Jesus who suffered hell. Talk to them about the longings of their hearts for a better place. Talk to them about Psalm 16 that says, at God's right hand are pleasures forever. Talk to them about that. Live a joyful life where they go, what's going on? So that they, they, they see that you're experiencing heaven today when Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it abundant and free. And by the way, you get it today. Yeah, it's in, it's in earnest. It's a down payment. But you get it heaven today. Let them see heaven today and go, what do you got? I need to have that. That ought to motivate us to have God's heart. And one of the things we don't want to do is miss the loving, merciful heart of God that cannot be separated with his perfect justice. And so what do we read in the scriptures? Ezekiel 18, God's saying, I take no pleasure in the death of anyone. No pleasure in the death of anyone. Declares the sovereign Lord, repent and live. That's why he warned Adam and Eve. That's why he sent Moses. That's why he sent the prophets. That's why he sent Christ. That's why there are people preaching the gospel today because God doesn't take pleasure in the death of anyone. Peter says the same thing, 2 Peter 3, 8, 9. The Lord's not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. If you get frustrated, like, why doesn't Jesus come back and clean it up? Because he loves us and he's patient. Oh, and by the way, he's eternal, so if a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day, he's only been gone two days. Hello. Relax. It just hasn't been that long. He is patient with you, not wanting who? Anyone. Say it. Anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And he's not going to put you in a full Nelson. He's not going to do that, but he put his son in a full Nelson on the cross. If we believe this doctrine, it ought to change how we live our life here in the dot. That we'd be all about Jesus' mission. Remember Jesus' mission early in Luke chapter 4, right when he started his ministry? 18, 19, the spirit of the Lord is on me, quoting from Isaiah 61, because he's anointed me to proclaim, to preach the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim, proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. John three seventeen. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28, 19. And we know at the end of the day, when his mission is complete, we get a picture of what it looks like, Revelation 7. It's a great multitude. Oh man, this is good news. This is a great multitude in heaven that no one can count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb, crying out, salvation belongs to our God. And so, man, we're surrounded by people who aren't in church, which means they're not in the hearing of the good news. 
And the good news is Jesus came to suffer hell so that you and I didn't have to spend eternity in hell. And he left heaven to take us to heaven. And there's a lot of people that don't know that because they're not in a church that's hearing the gospel. We've got to pay attention to people in our life that God's letting come right. They're, they're not in church. They're not in a good place. They're not doing well because it's hard right now. Maybe it's financially hard. Maybe it's divorce hard. Maybe it's a kid thing hard. Maybe it's health hard. I don't know what it is. You pay attention to people who are not doing well. And there's a third not. People are going, we were not expecting this. Like, whoa. Like, marriage is harder than we thought. This cocky kid just doesn't stop crying. We were not expecting a kid to rebel. We were not expecting our husband, to, my husband, to lose his job. And not expecting. You look for those knots. Listen to those knots. And, and use that as an opportunity. Hey, come on, man. We're not a perfect church, but come to this place. There's hope. It's for, for you. I want you to hear about it. So, hell. It's a place of our making, right? It's a place of our choosing. It's separated from God. For eternity, it's marked by people who have no hint, no hint of remorse. There's a hardness that you see. I mean, do you realize that this guy, this rich man, Jesus never even gives him a name because that's what defined his life. And and he is still so smug that he won't even talk to Lazarus. Did you notice that? He's got to go through Moses. And all he wants from Lazarus is, could you be my water boy? Could you be my errand boy? Not a word of, dude, I wronged you. I'm so, so sorry. The Bible on heaven. We got like three minutes on this one. Who, Who in the world put heaven and hell on the same message? I'm going to talk to that idiot. (laughs) It was me. All right. Um, John chapter 14. Jesus makes it clear. Remember, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I'm going to prepare a place. Going to prepare a place. What a place. What a place. I remember when I left, it was Labor Day, 05, the summer before I came here. We had a sabbatical. I was up in Door County to build a log cabin. And uh, I had some time to build a log cabin until unexpectedly someone walked up to our house and said, I hear you may be selling your house. And Laurie says, yeah, we may be. He said, can I look at it? He made an offer and Next thing I knew, we were closing in October, and I was like, I got to get going. I get this place ready. <clears throat> Working hard to get that place ready. We work like banshees. We got occupancy in 100 days. How long has been Jesus been readying this place? I remember driving around Wheaton with Lori's dad, who was dying of ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. We were driving by some really nice neighborhoods, western suburbs of Chicago. He says, well, where I'm going, 
these ain't much. It's a real place Jesus talked about. And it's a place that we don't earn or deserve. The best way to get that straight is the thief on the cross who hours before is mocking Jesus, saying, yeah, yeah, if you are the son of God, get off the cross and save us too. And then it didn't take much longer as he's watching this man die, the son of God. He realized there's something going on here. And he says, Jesus, would you remember me before you go into your kingdom? He recognizes him as the king, the Messiah. And what did Jesus not say? Well, dude, it's a little late for that, isn't it? You know, if you get yourself off the cross and clean it up and start doing some good in this world, maybe we can talk. He didn't say, well, that's really interesting. So you're a thief. You're being nailed to this cross because you're a thief. You're just a son of the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And you're getting your just desserts. Now, what do he say? To the one who reached out to Jesus, who couldn't do anything. There wasn't anything he could do. Except call to him for mercy. Jesus says, today, this very day, you will be with me in paradise. Heaven's all about being with Jesus. Heaven's all about living in this place by God's grace, through faith in the one who did the good work. We get confused. Listen to this. This is a really important verse. John 6, 28. Then they asked him, Jesus, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent, to believe in Jesus. It's a real place that Jesus has gone forward to prepare. Heaven is a perfect place. All the things that are twisted and marred and fallen and wrong, the things that well up within you to go, that's not right. That's not there anymore. Revelation 21, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And then to just wrap it all up for the old order of things has passed away. So all the rest, it's gone. He was seated on the throne, said, I am making Everything new. Everything new. Heaven is a place of endless joy and pleasure. And I don't know what you think of, but I'm, can, doesn't it get kind of weird when you think about heaven sometimes? Like, you know what's always weirded me out? is this concept of eternity. I can't do that. It's like blows the circuit. Well, of course we can't do that. We're finite, right? We're doing life in the dot. Even though we're connected to the line, we just don't, we can't do that. But when I think about heaven, I don't wonder about like, is it going to be boring? You know, like those fat little cherubs sitting on the edge of a cloud strumming a harp. Like that doesn't get me going. Does it get you going? I don't need that. There's this room in, Wheaton at the uh, Billy Graham Center, that, that this museum, that the last thing was you would walk through the cross. It's really cool. You walk through the cross, hello, into the heaven. But heaven was a little weird because it was this, I mean, it's cool, but when you think about it, it was weird because 
It was like one of these mirror rooms and everything that you saw was clouds. And so it was like, you're in the clouds, but like, I don't, I don't want to do eternity in the clouds. I'm really excited about the Bible says about a new earth. There's correspondence to the new. Jesus gets a new body. It was the body that was crucified, and yet it could go through walls. They could put their hand through it, but he could eat fish. I like this whole thing of correspondence. I'm thinking maybe there will be golf courses in heaven. <laughs> no, it'd be better than golf courses in heaven. And one of the joys of heaven is intimacy with God. So Jesus blows, blows us away when he says, because the guys are trying to trump him, get them all messed up on this thing about, so who's going to be married to who if this gal has like seven husbands? And Jesus says, guys, you don't get it. You don't get the power of God. You don't get what's going to happen in this new place. It's not about marriage. Marriage? You don't, you're not married. Hello, no sex. Hello, no sadness, guys. Because the intimacy with God and each other in heaven blows everything that we've experienced here that is awesome, like sexual intimacy, blows it out of the water. We're not even thinking about it. We're not even thinking about it. Pleasures forever. And man, there's work. Because if you go, man, to be honest with you, I mean, it was great that we sang tonight. But man, like, I don't do that. Singing? I'm a guy. And are you telling me we're going to sing for eternity? I'm out. <laughs> Just co- correspondence. We, it, we, we can't understand the horrors of hell, and we can't understand the glory of heaven. Because language can't get around it. That's why it says, like streets of gold. That's why it says, like a lake of fire. I don't know if it's going to be a lake. I just know it's going to be horrible. It's going to be horrible. But what I do is I go back to the garden before chapter 3 in the very good beginning when everything was perfect, and I go... Adam and Eve were created and experiencing a loving relationship, right, with God and each other and meaningful work. And I go, yeah, I like work. I'm the son of parents, Swiss people that liked work. We're going to work in heaven and it's going to be meaningful and it's going to be great. We're just not going to get calluses. We're not going to have to go to chiropractors and we're not going to have disability insurance and we're not going to have to get legislation about minimum wage and the, and the times that we were. It's none of that. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. So what are you longing for? Have you ever thought that maybe that's all connected to what the Bible's teaching here? What are we living for? The dot or the line? And who are you trusting when it comes to when it comes to this whole thing of your eternal destiny? Who are you trusting? And I hope we want more than relief. That's all he wanted, relief. When the prophets and Jesus spoke about restoration, resurrection, New life. It's not just out there. 
right here today. We pray together, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May the people around us see us experiencing the joys and the fullness of heaven, the restoration of heaven as we live life here on earth. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, there's some people listening to me now that will remember this sermon in hell. It'll be part of their agony. And I pray, dear God, that you'd snatch them out of their place, that you'd gift them with faith, that they would repent and turn to you, the author, giver, sustainer of life. We celebrate the gospel that connects these two places. Your son who suffered hell and said on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He experienced hell and we wouldn't have to. And may we be a people and may we be a church that are pointing people to you, the light of life, the giver of life, the one who satisfies our deepest longings and who binds up our deepest wounds. For your name, for your glory, we pray. And God's people said, amen.